Ah, good night. Uh, got a family asleep. It's just me by myself down here. Got a little bit of time to get some editing done. I might as well check the old email, see what's on the email. Hey, look, looks like I got some spam email. Gotta check that out. Let's see here. Yep, another request from a prince wanting money. Not gonna fall for that again. Oh, somebody wants me to sell my property. Get rich scream. Nope, 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 not falling for that. Oh, look, an email from Mephisto, and he wants to give me a copy of X-Men number one? Awesome, I've always wanted a copy of X-Men number one. Yeah, I'm gonna click on this, this will be good, this will be good. All right, let's see here, just uh, read the fine print. Ah, no, we're about Oh! Oh, my spleen. Hey, uh, it's Tim Price and, and Al Sedano. And Al Sedano came in so hard that he muted himself. Wow. Rick, oh, what man. the hell? That had to hurt. Yeah, um, hey, uh, hi, guys. Um, I got a funny story to tell you. My arm does all flappy. I, I, I was sitting down here, and I was going to just do some editing, and um, I was looking at my email, and crazy story got to this email from uh, Mephisto. And he was offering me a comic book, and... I did not fall for it. I did not fall for it at all. There was a link. Not going to click at all. I might have accidentally clicked on the link. And you guys got pulled into a Zoom just so we can talk about a comic book. <laughs> uh, that's that's uh, not a funny story, Rick. That seems pretty late. I think Rick just wanted to have an excuse for a cold open. Quiet, you guys. Play my music. Should my arm be bending that way? <laughs> podcast jeff and rick present figuring out the frightening facts featuring frankenstein where we journey through each issue of an idw four issue series from the 2000s while drinking something pondering puzzling period plays postulating perishing prometheus i am rick i am al and i am tim they're creepy and they're kooky mysterious and spooky they're all together ooky <laughs> the random bantery <laughs> random banter time my friends <laughs> tell me tales of tales to tell Oh my god, there's nothing more that I love than throwing somebody on the bus and them coming up with something that just completely floors me. Thank you, Tim. I appreciate it. And this will cause Jeff, my other co-host, to come up with something even better in the future. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. You are quite welcome. And thank you, Tim, because I don't have to do it. <laughs> no, uh, thank you guys very much. This is something we started doing as an annual thing. And this year, we all kind of procrastinated a little too long, and we're doing this more or less at the last minute, but that's okay. We are doing this. And thank you, Tim Price, and thank you, Al Sedano, for coming on and doing this with me. Actually, I think we should all thank Al Sedano because I think he was really the driving force. But... <laughs> well, it's only because I actually had a thought idea in my mind for what book to do, and you still didn't figure it out yet. <laughs> that, and also at the last minute, you're like, hey, I got an idea. Let's... let." You know, well, when I said, hey, that was a great book, but we should do all four books. And you said, that's a great idea. We should split up those books and you should do a show. Hang on. That wasn't the original idea, but we'll go ahead and do it anyways. <laughs> well, it was just kind of a fun thing to go. Well, how much work can I make Rick do on a Saturday? Hey, let me tell you, that was a Friday night and I did it in two hours. So we're going to see what happens. We threw a script together. We're going to have fun. Um, other than that, no, I'm having a good old time. I'm me. Random bantering for me. I'm just enjoying time with my family. We're heading into this October, this year-long, 10-year-long decade that is October of 2020. And we're just seeing what happens. Uh, we are trying to survive as best we can. That's what's going on in my life. Uh, how about you, Al? What is what is bantering of ranting with you? Uh, not much except, well, I was going to say not much, but just some stuff. We were just talking, my wife and I, earlier, and apparently... There will be some trick-or-treating going on in our neighborhood, uh, safely, of course. And my wife actually had set up some plans of how she wanted to do it to uh, be able to give out candy and still have it be safe for everybody. So we're doing some decorations. We've talked about that, too. Uh, we've decided on potato gun. Oh, mm. that's good. That's, that sounds good. And uh, trick-or-treaters are well known for wearing protective eyewear. That's true. If they are wearing face protection, not my problem. This is 2020. Be prepared. Okay, that's all I'm saying. Be prepared. <laughs> you show up at the store that's, without a face mask, that's your problem. You ain't getting no, no. Doritos today. <laughs> and considering the, what area of the country you live in, you have, they should be prepared with a face mask and something that's made of asbestos at this point, I think, and also something that might protect them from murder, murder hornets. Just remember, this is an anarchist jurisdiction. 
keep it clean. What? That means like no one cares if you take two pieces of candy out of the bowl? <laughs> the look on Tim's face as he tried to unpack that in his head was priceless. Oh, wait. What is he wait, talking about? Wait. <laughs> priceless? Was that a was that a was that a jab? Was that a jab? It wasn't. It wasn't, but I will take complete credit for it now. Uh, yes. <laughs> dang it, Heineken. <laughs> <laughs> so safe trick-or-treating for you what about for you mr tim price oh well i have different halloween probably coming up in general because my daughters are high schoolers and actually have given up the trick-or-treating for a couple of years now and last year they had a great time hanging out with some friends and going to like a haunted house and doing like an evening party but that sort of thing you know is on the skids this year however one of their really close friends her family has invited them over for like just you know just a couple of them just for a sleepover a spooky sleepover for halloween so they're looking forward to that other than that you know it's like they're just trying to get through the high school fun remotely full time and i am looking forward to the horror of november when they go to get their learners permits so i am pretty terrified so thank you 2020 <laughs> be afraid <laughs> Be very afraid. Well, guys, I think we should got a book to read. I think we got two books to read. We got uh, two issues, two of them, two issues to go through here. So we should just move on with that. But we can't do that until Al tells us what happened in a two sentence replay of the last episode from his network. In the first two issues of Frankenstein Alive Alive, we find Frankenstein's monster working in a circus carnival freak show sometime in the 30s or 40s. And while there, he has memories back, flashes back to when he tried to kill himself at the end of the Frankenstein novel, first with ice, then with fire, because he's a fan of Robert Frost, didn't work. And then he's taken in by a kindly scientist who wants to teach him and let him learn. And everything's great until apparently this guy is married and has a wife. Who knew? And she is not like the look of our friend Frank. Not bad. Not no, bad at no, all. No, I Thumbs up. All right. Now that the two sentence replay is over, why don't we all talk about the beverages we brought? That's an excellent idea. I am thirsty. Let me tell you guys what I'm drinking tonight. I uh, pulled out of my fridge a very appropriate beer. This is called Dead and Dead Rogue. It's Dead Guy Ale Aged in Dead Guy Whiskey Barrels. Dead and Dead Rogue. And we are reviewing Frankenstein Alive Alive. I'm sorry. Is that just perfect or what? That is beautifully on the nose. Oh, yes. I'm not sure exactly how I'm going to be doing by the end of this night, because this is a 9.5% by volume, and this is a heavy, heavy bomber here. This is dark vanilla with a little bit of malt in it, it says on the back star here. So I'm going to crack this boy open while uh, Al tells us what he brought. Well, I almost brought that, because I was stopped at the liquor store on the way home to see what they had. And of course, it's Rogue, but I'm like, you know what? I had a feeling it's like, Let's see if there's something else, because I know there's going to be a rogue dead guy already Brent mentioned. <laughs> I couldn't find anything else specifically related to Frankenstein, but if we go back to the part where I said he tried to kill we, he tried to kill himself with fire and ice, you know, he was up north, somewhere I said Iceland. I have. It's from Iceland, apparently. It is called Einstuck, Icelandic white ale. Ale brew with coriander and orange Ooh. peel. So something that maybe he, you know, Frankenstein could have picked up. Well, oh, no, you know what? Something the doctor could have picked up at a pub while on his way to his expedition to find the frozen body of Frankenstein. Yeah. Yeah. I think it would be more the I think it would be more Dr. Frankenstein instead of the monster. I, I don't think the monster cares. Well, the monster missed that out because he was too busy trying to kill himself. Pretty much. Pretty much. But and plus, I don't think I ever had a white ale. I may have on our show. I think I've, we've done a white ale once or twice. The nice thing about doing this show is that uh, for those of us that like to drink beer, we have gone through quite a few different styles of beer, which is very fun for us. What about you, Tim? What have you brought to the party? Well, as Rick knows abundantly well, I don't drink. Mm -hmm. My other, you know, dirty secret is that I'm I'm lazy. So I didn't mm -hmm. have, make a much an effort today to get to the store because it's like. Ah, uh, this whole this whole production has been, you know, quite the organized chaos. You know, I think you'd understand that. I'm uh, sorry, but Al and I have made an effort. Are you saying that while we have made the effort to go out and no, find no, no. a beverage of our choice, you have brought water to the table? No, I would bring something much more interesting than simply dihydrogen oxide. I managed okay. to find a little exotic drink here called Minute Maid. 
And uh, since we, <laughs> I, I, I think it's French. <laughs> and it's a, it's an aid of lemons. That sounds, that sounds quite charming, don't you think? Quite you know, charming. I think. <laughs> You drink them with your French fries? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> French dressing? I think that if we look at this story, there is a minute maid that is in the story, and Frankenstein Monster does provide her some aid. Ah, uh, yes, indeed. There we go. That It all works, doesn't it? And Frankenstein's Monster has a face that looks like he's been sucking on a lemon. Huh? Huh? I, I, will, I will buy that, buy and also I'll say, like, you know, Hey, I know you guys worked hard at it, but and I just skate on it and just nail it without putting too much effort in it. So I don't know. Lux to be you. You made an effort. <laughs> Didn't say how much, but an effort. I'm personally so, not going to say it's going to suck for me because I got myself a dead guy ale that has been in a whiskey barrel, and I got to tell you, this is kind of nice. This has got a <laughs> this got a bit of a how... kick on it, but mm, got the malty smell, and it's got this real good whiskey bite in the sip which is quite fun yeah what do you think of yours al this is interesting i like it though it has a it doesn't have a very strong taste but it's not weak like something that's watered down it just has like a very i mean you could definitely taste a little bit of the orange peel in it but it's a very almost like a bit like a wheat beer oh okay mm-hmm. yeah white ales i can see that with the wheat doing the wheat beer Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not very heavily carbonated, which gotcha. is good because I'm really not a big fan of the heavily carbonated stuff. It's usually, why I usually prefer something like a wheat or a Hefeweiss, you know, yeah. with, mm-hmm. with beers because not as much carbonation. This just has a really good ale taste to it. It's not that really strong or penetrating, but what what's forward on it is this sour bite of that whiskey, and that comes in and just layers the entire taste bud down as the ale washes over everything else this is this is tasty and it's got a very distinct flavor to it so this is fun yeah i'm like i I like this this is a nice easy drinking beer this is not something that's like you have to sip very slowly because it's a very strong taste or it's not like a triple Mm -hmm. ipa where it's like Mm -hmm. very hoppy where you gotta be accustomed to this you could probably just be an okay beer drinker and like this but it's not like i said it's not really you know, it's not a bud product. It's not watered down. <laughs> this is a family show. It's not the, uh, yeah, it's not watered down. Let's yeah, put it that we're, way. We're, we're good um, with that. We're good with that. It, mm-hmm. it, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're worthy canoe words. <laughs> well, I think that now that we've all got a beverage, it's time to dive on into this issue. And the only way we can do that is with some opening credits. Al, kick us off, if you please. Sure. We have Frankenstein alive, alive. Issues 3 from April 2014 and 4 from March 2018. Credits. Writer Steve Niles. Art by Bernie Wrightson and Kelly Jones. Letterer Robbie Robbins. Editors Denton Tipton and Scott Dumbier. Featuring Frankenstein's monster. He's big. He is thin. He does not have a nose. And he is learning to be more than he is. That's all we can all really be, really. We pick up in the middle of the monster's dreams. It is a melodrama, a play reflecting the fears he puts in others and sees about himself. Ghouls attacking him from the ground, clawing at him, scratching and grabbing him. And leading the monsters in the graveyard is his best buddy and friend, Vicky Boy. That is Dr. Frankenstein to you, sir. If you're nasty. Old Victor is holding a moldy old kangaroo court for his monster. He and the creepy crypt creatures want him to die into nothingness. Go back to where he came from. And this makes the monster cry. Aww. There is still nothing like a good cry to wake you up from a bad dream, only to realize that you are still a monster, hated and feared by everyone. Remember, last issue, he scared the bloomers off of Doc Ingle's ailing and elderly wife. Now he hears and sees some activity going on outside. Apparently, and this was not clear at all in the prior issues, this is a bustling estate full of servants and maids and people besides the good doctor and his wife. Was. Was a bustling place. Now the good doctor is telling everyone to leave. Get out. Get gone. Take your bloomers. Get out of here. His wife is sick and he has to focus on her. Her alone. No one else. And a question. Last issue, he was spending a lot of time with our hero, tall, dark, and gruesome, that guy. It really seemed like he lived alone with no one in the house. 
We all thought those musty rooms and spider webs were decoration. Nope. The massive library was not on the cleaning schedule. Ah. Yeah. And and I kind of lied above because really not everyone was really asked to leave. One young maid, a Rachel, she is being kept. A couple of things about her that are probably not at all important. Uh, first, she makes a mean omelet. Second, she can really do an impressive military corner on the bedsheets. Three, she's pregnant. Four, her favorite color is blue. And finally, she thinks she has seen a monster about the place. I'm pretty sure you made up some of those things. My show, my rules. This is true. He even makes me change my pants when we record. And no talking about the pants. Well, anyway, the good and noble doctor gently calms the young maid, telling her not to get upset. In fact, he decides he will prescribe some medicine to calm her down. All she has to do is smell this cloth. What does it smell like? Well, that's disturbing. The knocked out girl, not the pants thing. The monster sees this and is disturbed as well. As he searches, he finds the doctor's wife, Dolly, in the laboratory. She is surrounded by vials and tubes and beakers. If this was a few decades later, there may have even been a machine that went ping. Ping! Our anti-hero knows a corpse when he sees it. he That's one thing he definitely knows how to do is know, know a corpse when he sees it. And of course, he blames himself. He did make her faint, which... It's close enough, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah. is interesting that he clenches his fists together and wants to pray, but does not know how. Well, well, good news for him. It looks like his prayers are answered. She opens her eyes. Hooray! <laughs> Dude, th those are totally dead eyes. She ain't dead. Well, she's mostly dead, at least. Listen up here, Miracle Max. Don't you go selling me any chocolate pellets. Ooh, it's much worse than that. The doctor pops up at this moment and breaks down his grand experiment. And it is way creepy. The old guy has been mixing his wifey a cocktail of his own invention to keep her alive. And the maid ingredient is not minute maid. Sadly, no. He's been using stillborn premature fetuses to concoct the cure, but it hasn't been working. He figures there's only one solution to this conundrum, and it is the one that's sleeping upstairs. You don't mean not a perfect omelet? Well, that's great. Right upstairs is that maid who knows how to make a perfect omelet. What luck! Oh, uh, Al, I really don't have the heart to tell him. <laughs> oh, but I do. <laughs> yeah, Rick. <laughs> yeah, no, buddy. The doctor wants to use the unborn baby. But the baby's not born yet, and probably doesn't know how to cook yet. Oh... <sighs> Eh, ignore him. Uh, you know, the monster's first instinct is to kill Dr. Ingalls. And I kind of understand him right now. Instead, the lumbering lad lopes off to the local woods to stare at the moon and reflect on how horrible the world truly is. Now we are in the final book of the series, and this is the one that was put together after Bernie Wrightson's death. The art is all based on thumbnails he drew and Kelly Jones adapted. It is a fairly seamless transition. The monster, after three long days, has wandered back to the doctor's mansion like an angsty teen. He really just wanted to move on, but his feet brought him back. Ooh, ooh, you know, this reminds me of this one Thanos story. Yo, oh. yo, yo, my show, my show. This is a no Thanos show. He knows what he did. Anyway, our narrator decides to take care of the imprisoned young woman, bringing her food, firewood, fresh buckets, and the latest issues of Reader Digest. He does all this while hiding his identity from the lady. He is kind of like the Banksy of helping. He's bringing her stuff, not vandalizing her cell. Hey, you say potato, I say art. That is not the only woman of the house. As the monster wonders the mansion, he occasionally is treated to his very own recital from Carol Channing. Yeah, I got nothing. Tim? Uh, I, I'm at a loss. Come on, you squares. It's a Hello Dolly reference. Because the undead wife, Dolly, she's just creeping around the house, surprising him. Nothing. So, much like Rick's humor, the undead Dolly is difficult to find on occasion. She keeps breaking free, and the doctor has to go and fetch her. And she is not looking good. While she does move, her face is frozen in a silent scream, and her body has started to decay. The crazy doctor. Oh. Guys, we can all agree that 
the Dr. Ingalls, he's crazy, right? Oh, totally. He's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Oh, yeah. Two skates off of his rocker looking for his lost marbles. Right, right, right. Well, he's still all in on the infant enema injection, but the newly knowledgeable narrator is sure this will fail. Luckily, things are about to change. One night, he's woken to the smell of fire. Fire! Bad! Nice one, Tim. So the monster busts out Rachel and safely gets her through the quickly burning mansion. He's impressed that she's not frightened of his horrific appearance. He does pass the doctor and his dead bride. He knows he can't save them, but he is surprised to see that Dolly is holding on to the doctor, preventing him from leaving and smiling. Of course she is. She loves her husband. And who doesn't like to be next to a roaring fire? No, no, they are in the roaring fire. Yeah, right. Fire. Bad. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, thanks. Uh, the monster does escape as his recent sanctuary burns to the ground. Bad. Fire. Fire! Yeah, yeah, you, you got it, Tim. Yeah. Anyway, so the monster carries a pregnant woman over the hills and through the woods to the nunnery where they will go. Luckily, the housekeeper knows where to go. Unfortunately, she's also very, very pregnant. Fire! Bad! Wait, wait, I thought pregnancy was kind of binary? You are or you aren't? Well, in this case, she is going from one state to the other very fast. In fact, it is a good thing her old monster buddy has been reading, because he has to put that book learning to a practical test, and but fast. So he and the woman successfully help the little baby into the world. It's not really a happy occasion, though. They're in the forest, surrounded by snow, just escaped the madman. Still, the monster's only thought is, eh, it's kind of a bummer I can't be a father. Man, you need to start looking on the bright side of life. We should send him some Monty Python comedy or something. Now our hero has to carry the woman and her child, but he is successful in this mission and brings them to a convent deep in the woods. They're safe. And now we are left to the final pages. The monster does some serious navel-gazing as he ponders the experiences he has had. He spent so much time trying to die, he never tried to live. Maybe it's time for him to get some living. Nice monologue there, Red. A little too Shawshank? Just a tad. Well... Yeah, whatever. He really thinks that no matter how you came to the world, you have the right to live. The end. Da 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 da. Hey, it's time for some creepy covers of this issue. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> so, guys, this is four issues that we have covered all together. We're just focusing on the last two. And I know we did bring this up over an Al show, but let's talk a little bit more about these covers. And I am right that these are creepy covers. So you've got all four issues there, right, Al? Well, yes and no. I did buy all four issues. I just can't find two of them. Awesome. Mm. Okay. We do have uh, four issues here. Looking at the issues that, we, that we're covering here on this one, issues three and four, all of the issues have a very cool concept where they're black on the outside borders and then there's a cameo kind of oval that features the Frankenstein monster and some scene from the issue. Yeah. With number three, we've got the long-haired kind of solemn-looking Frankenstein monster as, as he's wearing a blue sports coat, it looks like. Double-breasted sports coat there. He's got long hair over shoulder-length hair and he's kind of gazing off into the... Into the uh, forward-facing future. That's for number three. And then number four, it's the scene, and this is the only one that's actually not drawn by Bernie Wrightson. It's actually the scene of him carrying Rachel out of the burning building, and he's kind of got his mouth open. He's like, ah, I'm saving a woman, yar! And he's carrying her as he's heading out. And this is one is written is drawn by Kelly Jones. What do you guys think of these covers? Uh, these are, I, like I said on my show, I love the way these are, covers are done. The, the, the all It's so striking. Mm -hmm. The all black with the gold kind of reflective lettering. It definitely is eye-catching, I think. Oh, yeah. Their single image of just Frank on issue three is so much character from it. We've seen this as this story has progressed. This is not the ravening monster that we might have been expecting for this series coming in. It's like, no, this is a a thoughtful, solemn image of our, of Frank here, which is so good. And the cover for issue four, you know, even though it's not a rights and cover, it still looks so good and is telling us the same story. We're, we're not really feeling a jarring difference in the artwork there on the cover alone. It's like, it just fits with the rest of the themes 
uh, the artistic themes of this series. So they're both so good. Yeah. I think of the two, I, I really like this one on page three. I think you're right that this one shows the the thinking, the pondering. I, I like using the term navel-gazing, although he's not doing the navel-gazing. He's more looking ahead in the future. His eyes have closed. But you can see there's some intelligence that's in there, that he, that there's some thought going on. And the art is wonderful in this. It is interesting that we're celebrating just a small piece. I, I really want to know what the, the thought behind it is, that we have this giant black space, this black void, and just a small picture, especially when these books are celebrating Bernie Wrightson's art. I, I think actually it's because, because these are all, like we said, these are images from in the book, but they're blown up. These are a lot, you know, and it's more focused on just that. So instead of doing a thing where we're like the double page spreads, which are amazing, mm-hmm. but instead of having this giant thing of all that detail, it's just focusing on, on this little bit right here. Yeah. You know, it's just, let's just focus on this part of, it, of the artwork this from, cause they're all from, like you said, if they're all from in the issue. Yeah. Which is kind of fun when you're reading the issue. You're like, oh, that's the cover. It's kind of like when you're watching a TV show. Well, a TV show when they used to have the opening credits. Yeah. And you would get the show episode where you see, like, that's from the credits. I know that scene. Yeah, that is true. The only other thing I guess I would talk about is because I'm getting this off of digital. And the digital has a different cover for, well, it's got the cover for the main book. And it's the Frankenstein Alive Alive. And it's instead of a cameo kind of oval, you have a rectangle. And this is a scene that we talked mm-hmm. about in Al's show from the second book that has Al, or that has, not Al, I'm sorry, Al, you're the Frankenstein monster. I apologize. It has the monster. You're not supposed to tell. <laughs> it has the monster in um, Dr. Inglis's, Ingles' laboratory or, or laboratory. And it's the one time that we see him nervous and scared. And he's looking at all of the vials and chemicals and he's nervous. And that's the thing piece that they put on the front of this book which i think is extremely telling because there's a lot that's in that it's him questioning his own mortality which is frankenstein's monster that's kind of the entire thing how did he come how was he born he's actually reflecting here on his own past on how he was created on his own fears that he's got he's starting to make the transition from i want to kill myself into i want to be alive i think it is the perfect issue for this book yeah, it is, because I think also it kind of gives you an idea that this is, if you've never read it before and just looking at it, this is not a typical Frankenstein movie where monster goes crazy and villagers chase with pitchforks. This is something different. Yeah. Because it's not an angry monster. It's not a violent monster. He's nervous. Yeah. He's uncomfortable. Yeah. Tim? Yeah, pretty pictures are great. <laughs> <laughs> We've left him up a little too long tonight, folks. I apologize. I think so. <laughs> well let's get through let's get through some of our points then i got some random things themes with the book now that we're at the end of the book and we'll just skip right to the end and we'll get back to some of the other things too we've already talked a little bit about that this is a a premature ending it was not the point of the creators to have it end so quickly but because of the death of bernie wrightson they had to wrap up the book and they wrapped it up with the notes and thumbnails that he had how do we think that this fits in by issue or by the entire story as it is. Again, because of the death, it feels like uh, Stuart Little. It kind of just ends at the next chapter. Hmm. Oh, okay. Because he passed away, so therefore it just kind of ends. It's not the ending, it's just an ending. Yeah. And looking at the whole book, I mean, it definitely feels like Bernie is definitely going back to the 70s Marvel DC plotting of, we're going to, you know, I mean, he has a nice basic idea of what he wants to do. It's not just like randomly whatever, but it does feel like kind of like that kind of plotting style is like we start the circus and then we're going to go flashback and we're going to tease the flashback. We'll get to the circus. Eventually we're, mm-hmm. we're doing the flashback stuff. Now this is more interesting. And I think that's where he was going with it. So he had a vague idea where he wanted to go, but it's like, we'll get it's meandering. He'll get there eventually. Tim. Well, yeah, I have to agree that very distraught by the abruptness of the, how the story had to end. And I also feel like that perhaps they, both Kelly Jones and the writer Steve Niven deliberately wanted to make it wrap as quickly as possible mm-hmm. out of respect to Mr. Wrightson. They didn't want to let this linger. This was Bernie's project. Yeah. So they gave it an ending to satisfy Bernie himself, who was probably wanting to see, not wanting to leave the fans hanging. 
So because yeah, there are a few pages of issue four that are done by Bright. Mm-hmm. So we did get some yeah. of it, just right. not most of it. So I, you know, I get a feeling for that we want to give the fans some closure on this story out of respect to Bernie. And so, but still try to tell some kind of story along the way. And I think mm-hmm. that they did find a, a reasonable place to stop a reasonable resolution for the characters we've seen in this arc. So at, at least we had two issues of really build up of this particular arc in the first place to work from. If we had been even shorter, oh my gosh, it would have felt even more jarring. But having had two issues, mm-hmm. it was like, it was good to get uh, c- some closure here. And also it's just, you know, one of those things that's darned ironic and also extremely appropriate for a creator like Bernie Wrightson's last work to be finished almost from beyond the grave. I mean, there's something extremely poetic <laughs> about that. Yeah. 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 This this goes into the same kind of piece as The Crow, the movie The mm-hmm. Crow from 1994. Oh, they're, yeah. they're, they're, yeah. they're, in my mind, as I was reading it, I couldn't help but put some parts of that together and it's it's sad and it's bittersweet like like we said but it's it's also a good tribute as well there's a few things that i really noticed in these two books that i wanted to kind of touch on too one there was a scene where the monster was praying over the body and he went into a long spiel about he would like to be able to pray but he doesn't know how i thought it was also another one of those interesting things of there's i mean we could get into an interesting morality tale here about religion and creation and Prometheus and the, all of the issues of Frankenstein and the monster. But honestly, what we've got here is in the course of this series, he has built up this monster as somebody who sees himself as a thing that must be destroyed, finds out he can't be destroyed, and is starting to figure out exactly, you know, what do I have to live for? Luckily, he's given the gift of giving knowledge, of giving purpose, of giving something to think about and some ways to ponder. So you have somebody who's been given knowledge, not unlike a computer. A computer is given knowledge, and he can feel and he can understand. And he says here that he would like to pray, but he doesn't know how. And I always think it's very interesting that, well, why not? He's he's understood the concept. He understands feeling. Can he pray? I mean, why can't he pray? It's an interesting question. I would think that one of the mm, things he's feeling is he lacks the connection that prayer would give him. He doesn't know and hasn't experienced for himself what that would mean and what he would even ask for and what would come and what he would feel in return. He's That shows kind of the more the how Victor created him and but and give him no raising. He's been given no support in how to explore a spiritual side. And he only has to look as far as the mirror to be seeing that is there even a spiritual side to begin with? He is almost like the antithesis of that. I can just take the pieces of somebody else and make a new being out of them. Yeah. That, you know, so he has, his whole existence is almost a crisis of faith. So I could see that there's a, I might be reading a little too much into it, but Hey, you know, that's what we're here for. That's what what I, that's what comes to my mind when I think about that is he, he, his whole experience. This is like the whole thing for Frankenstein is like, and the themes of the original book, just like the mm-hmm. industrial age and the advent of science and technology and the loss of the connection to uh, the spiritual world and accepting things beyond ourselves, like man can do anything. Well, when man can mm-hmm. do anything, what does God mean anymore? Or should they? Mm-hmm. Well, yes, yes. As you were talking about that, I was thinking back to our regular show on this feed, Unpacking the Power of Power Pack. We are talking about smart ships. We're talking about sentient ships that are created and built. At what point are they actually alive? At what point do they actually have a spirit? And I think that's kind of one of the underlying questions here with with, uh, Frankenstein or the Frankenstein's Mm. monster. He's built together of all these parts. Do the parts reside? Do the spirit reside in the parts or is it the spark of life that creates the spirit? And that's what I was thinking of, too, or something similar is the fact that when he says to whom? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, technically, his God is Victor Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can he pray to, you know, can he pray to him? I mean, would there, you know, 
could would there even be a point in him praying to God, actual God, you know, not Frankenstein, but the other one? Would he acknowledge him? Would he acknowledge me? Am I? Does he even notice me? Does he just want me to just shut up and go away because I am not one of his? You know, do I do I not count there? So like it says <laughs> to whom? And also real quick, we says how and practically. Victor, I mean, we know Victor never gave him anything. So he only picked up the most rudimentary things. Look at all the stuff in this guy's house. Do you really think religious education beyond a curiosity of cults from five from 2,000 years ago was ever discussed at all? I mean, literally, he might be like, I've seen them do this with their hands and put their head down. Is there, a, is there a ritual? Is there a, is there a thing I'm supposed to say? Is there a magic word that makes it happen? What is it? I don't know. Because no one's ever told me what it is. So I have no idea. I mean, practically, it just might be literally he just, how do you do this? Mm-hmm. I, I'm just making motions, but what does that mean? Yeah. Is something supposed to happen? Do I hear something? Is there supposed to be a voice? Does someone, do I get like a little cartoon angel dropping down here? It looks like Bugs Bunny in a dress? Yeah. Like, that seems happens? awfully specific, Al. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all specific. We, we we will go into psychology between of what exactly Al's demons are and what he does to try to fix them later on. I call them Toby. You better believe it. <laughs> all right. Uh, I mean, there is a lot that we can go into with this, and and that's the cool thing about Frankenstein, the book, what Mary Shelley did back then, and what he's doing here. He's created a monster. He's recreated the monster in these books to go towards that journey of appreciation of life. And that's an interesting piece that whether or not it was where they wanted to end off the book, I think they did a good job of actually bookending that idea. We start off the book with the monster thinking about how he wants to kill himself. And by the end, he's like, no, I want to learn how to live. And it, we see the journey that he took there. It would have been nicer if there was a few more stops along the way, but we do see that. And I think that there is a big piece of it there of saying how he learns to appreciate that there is such a thing as life. So we can kind of see how he would eventually get to that circus mm-hmm. where we see him in the first issue where he's actually enjoying himself a little bit. Yeah, He had some fun scaring the rubes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you could see when he was standing there while everyone's eating, he, he was a small picture, but you could see he kind of had a little smile on his face as he was standing there eating. He was enjoying being in the company of people. And we you know, know people who didn't freak out at him. He was happy. And we know there's other steps that he would go through to get there. But I mean, because yeah, there's got to be at least 50 years between the end of issue four and where issue one starts. Yeah, I would mm-hmm. say. Is there anything else in these last couple of issues that you guys want to touch on or talk about? So what do we think is going on with Dolly with the whole grabbing the doctor at the end and not letting him go? I mean, very much a gothic or Lovecraftian or one of the you know, pulp, yeah. pulp type ending for the story. Where he mm-hmm. can't leave because she will not let him go now. You won't let me go. I'm not letting you go. It's out of. It's out of. Yeah. There we go. That's better. Yeah. It, there's interesting parallels there that that point to. Here's somebody who's trying to keep his wife alive, and he's using whatever means is necessary, including killing the unborn, killing a living in order to keep her alive. And even though she is dead, even though that she is. There's humanity going away from her as much as possible. She realizes that she wants nothing more to be dead. I'm done. I'm finished. And this guy can't accept that, so I'm going to take him with him. I recognize what he's doing is wrong. It's that last bit of humanity. It's her own salvation that goes on there. I think that that's the, that's the key that we're trying to take away. And also, that's part of the journey that the monster actually sees as well. He's been trying to kill himself as well. He can't kill himself. He's got the gift of life. He can keep on being alive. And so so he is going to be doing that. He's going to keep on living and learning what that actually means. Because she actually is dead still. Yes. Mm -hmm. He's actually, he was dead, but now he's alive again. Mm -hmm. Alive. He's alive, alive. Alive, alive. Tim? Yeah. Waka waka. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I agree. (laughs) (laughs) Is there anything you wanted to bring up, Tim? Well, you know, one of the thoughts that keeps going through my head, which is a speculation on where this would go if the story had continued, is that part of the monster's creation is all the pieces, parts that make him up. And we don't really talk about the brains that he has that where that comes from brains oh that's a different thing but it's like those would be things from abby 
Hmm? <laughs> it's Abby's. Abby. It's Abby's brain. <laughs> Abby normal. Uh, yeah, that's it. But we don't. But it's like those are things that would also influence his personality, the things he knows, the things he's experienced. But he has no access to them at this point. But with some of the things that he goes through, it's like you wonder: Is there something that's in there? Is there more that he's going to explore? Is that part of, is he fighting multiple parts of those, of those impulses and experiences? Is that why he feels tendencies towards homicide and at the next moment, extreme curiosity and fascination with the world? I, I just want to see where that would be going to, because there's like a real n- another self-discovery and sense of identity. And I, there's little hints of that here in seeing his own narration of the story. And I kind of wonder if they would ever kind of touch on the influence of his own past, or is it really like, no, we're just going to continue with him as blank slate and discovering the world for himself. I don't really know which one I'd like, but I kind of would like, uh, you know, if they were going to do a little bit of the other, that'd be fascinating to me. And I also want to see him get a job in the future, working in a in a birthing center and helping deliver babies. Yeah, I, I see him as I see him as being a very effective midwife. Mm-hmm. Well, one benefit of that is he's going to have a mask on always. Yeah, good for him. I, a possibility of scaring them into delivering helps. Uh, well, they do yeah. scream uh, a lot <clears throat> in delivery, so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I like your idea about the whole like the impulses from all the parts. So basically, his life is like uh, the movie Idle Hands. I God, I kept thinking of Idle Hands. Oh man, you went there. <laughs> I, Look I, at I was me thinking, the face. I was thinking that way too, but I was also thinking different ways too. I, you think about when the original source material was written and the knowledge of the brain and human bodies was still very rudimentary. So mm-hmm. we didn't know exactly what would happen with the brain, what's there or not. Nowadays, when you think about it, the first thing we're going to think about is the analogs to computers. Or, and I kind of touched on this before, sentient life, sentient computers. So you got a brain that's a hard drive. You think you're rebuilding a computer from scratch using all these different parts. You're rebuilding a body from scratch, all these different parts. You're getting the, the, the CPU, you got the, the memory. That's erased and it's starting over. Are there ghosts in there? Are you just restarting it with everything, all the knowledge that's there? We don't know. And that's kind of what the brain is. Is the brain erased and it's re-recording the synopsis or creating new synopsis, new memories over the old, and so it never sees them? Or is it just trying to reenact or reconnect those synopses and make that memory come back? That is a fascinating idea. That is a fascinating concept. Once again, that goes to... What is the soul? Is there a soul? Where do you get your impulses? Where do you get your morality? Are you learning it? Are you? Is it part of what you are given when you are born? Ah, there's a lot that's there. That's pretty interesting. That like he would, if like they would have him start having memories from before his death. Mm-hmm. It'd be kind of like it'd be similar. Similar. I mean, it could be like uh, what they did with the for comics going to the vision when they at the time they made him think hmm. that he was the original human torch but yeah, right remade so like he had this whole life but he doesn't remember it but he had but apparently he had that life mm-hmm. it was recreated yeah it also made me think of the tv series i zombie and i think even the i think even the comic series i zombie did the same thing where zombie protagonist after eating the brains of a dead person would have their memories and a little bit of their personality experiences as well. So that's a little bit more on the nose in terms of parallel, but now this is, this is a really cool thought. And while this book may end and not give us a lot of that, these answers are kind of, it leaves you wanting more and it ends too soon. The book has amazing art in it and it has wonderful visuals and that's what we really need to celebrate with this book. And that's why instead of our power thoughts that I usually do from our normal segment, I'm going to be just talking about scenes and things in this book. And I want us each to kind of talk about some pieces of artwork that we really love and we would like to stick into our library gallery. So gentlemen, what piece of art in this book needs to be in a tomb in that gorgeous, gorgeous library that he's got? So it's from issue three. Mm-hmm. It's... Actually, right the page after two pages right after when he's trying to do the praying. If you, I mean, just take out 
because look at it. It's the one where the monster's crying over the dead body. Now imagine if we just saw that. No, no words. Take out the balloons, and all you had was just this print of just the monster crying over the dead body. Or is he crying? Like, I mean, the ideas yeah. that you can get from this alone, just looking at that, if you had no clue what the context was. Yeah, this is this is one of these gorgeous, gorgeous pictures, and the best way to describe it is. In the background, it's mostly black. There's this kind of gray stripe in the middle, but it's like mostly steam. black. Yeah, it's like steam. So the background is not important at all. What you get is the bedside. And if this was a modern ER, it would be a bed that's got like, you know, got the IV and a few machines around you. But no, this is Victorian time. So what you got is vials and baubles and potions that are coming down and running through these tubes and it's just you're surrounded by all these these glassware that with bubbling vial uh, bubbling liquid in it and you have it- the the victorian kind of bed sheet and you have dolly lying dead and stayed on there and victor just leaning over with one hand on his head you know saying farewell but you're right just take out all the words and it's just you don't even need the words you just know what's happening on the scene it's it's the monster crying over somebody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what? Yeah, this Why? is yeah. this is some amazing, amazing art. Tim, do you have an amazing piece of art you want to talk about? Um, issue three yeah. is an amazing piece of art. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he is you are not correct. Wrong. We've we've talked about that repeatedly. Like that's what's so hard about even trying to pull out particular things in this mm-hmm. in this book because every single page is just glorious. But I have, I wanted to actually give a shout out to each issue. If I was to pick a real highlight in this one, it's the first double page spread where we meet Rachel and the monster is kind of hiding in the middle of this lab. And there's this enormous mammoth skull and tusks that are just dominating the room among all these curiosities and jarred creatures throughout the whole room and laboratory and this is a museum cranked up to the creep factor 5000 uh-huh and it is just yeah. beautiful so i really love that but i really also I also had to give a shout out to issue 4 where kelly jones is taking over the artwork and you know he's not he's not doing things quite as detailed as bernie but that's also not his style he's doing his best but i also think that he's that it might be also consciously avoiding looking like too much like bernie too he's like Mm -hmm. i'm deliberately going to do things a little differently to not make it seem like i'm trying to capitalize on mr wrightson's style on this book but the double page spread where just after the baby has been born and there's uh, Frankenstein just holding this little infant in his two hands and is just so tiny. And, you know, Rachel is just recovering off to the side and he's just looking at it. And we're seeing this whole thing where he's been someone who's dealt death repeatedly mm-hmm. in his existence. And this is his first time truly assisting with life yes oh yeah yeah and you know this is where i think having this be the conclusion of the series of alive as a series this is why it's right here yeah but this and this page just sells it it sells it wonderfully because it's not just the end of this actual story of him meeting the scientist and what happens to the scientist and now he's gone from, and, you know, that chapter's over now. It's mm-hmm. not just that. Yeah, it's not just the horror this film actually, ending. It's not just the Twilight Zone ending of no and then done. Yeah. It actually was a philosophical change to him. He actually had something that affected his viewpoint. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And made him decide to change, you know, how he was viewing the life he had was living, where he was basically just viewing it as a burden. No, that, that, that you is, wanted to get rid of. That is a great choice. That is a great choice, Tim. I was going to say that one of my highlights was uh, the one before he starts praying over the body of oh, Dolly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is the oh, one yes. where he finds Dolly's body. And he walks into the room. And we've already done the other side of this where he's crying over the body. This is where he's going into that room. So you have the same thing where you see Dolly on the bed and you see 
all of the even more baubles and things and and stuff and wires and just all this detritus around her trying to keep her alive and in the middle of the scene is the back of this giant frankenstein monster as he's coming in it's mostly him in shadow it's a very striking image for me and i kept coming back to this page just i love the juxtaposition there of of he's on the other side this is this is kind of akin to the bride of frankenstein but it's it's him on the other side where he's seeing somebody who is being kept alive by science whereas he was made by science so there's a lot that's in that one as well looking at this you know what this reminds me of huh. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. The Exorcist. That one scene from The Exorcist mm. towards the end of it, mm-hmm. where you see the priest there, and then you see over there where Reagan is, and it's all like weird white lighting, and it looks like demon shapes, like screaming and like stretching up. Nice. Mm-hmm. And nice. that's kind of what it just makes me think of. Like that's what he's looking at almost. It's and, like, and it's a bit, and it's a bit of that same there. horror kind of thing. It's it's the unknown. It's the the mm-hmm. religious. It's there's a lot of in there. Nice call, Al. Very nice. Yes. Call. Well, you know, like I'm, there's no there's no bad choices. Yeah, <laughs> no, in God, these two books, no. it's hard to make any choices in these two books. And like Al, you kind of unintentionally nailed it because when he every single page we bring up, the first thing you do is go oh, every yeah. single time. <laughs> so it's like we can't help t- when talking about these pages. We just can't help but a, you know gasp at pretty- how glorious they are. The level yeah. of the level of talent is incredible here. But I, I would like to I would like to challenge you guys while the talent is incredible. We can still find some joy in this. Are there some funny pieces of artwork or unintentionally funny pieces of artwork that you guys found? I would like to give you an example. This is my example. It is on the uh, fourth page, fourth or fifth page of this book. And this is as uh, our monster has realized that people, that there's more people in this house than he ever realized. And they're all running away. And he is on out on the roof and he's holding on to kind of a buttress on the roof and he's he's standing on the on the uh the shingles and i looked at this and said hey look frankenstein's monster is trying to be spider-man because he's in a pose that is very <laughs> spider-man-esque yes. and i mean he's he's got his feet against there he's kind of up against it, it I'm just forget how that one foot works he's really yeah, bent back he's, with he's bent in a his, weird weird his, angle but we've always noted that he wasn't quite put together completely perfectly yeah. so i think yeah. that some of his parts don't move the way they're supposed to no, which is just no. wonderful. And yeah, uh, this was my runner-up funny image. So yeah, this is great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, This just is, I mean, and then there's a fact like me, the reader going, who are all those people? Because I've been reading this book and those people haven't been there. Who the heck? That's a lot. Those people lived there. I, hmm, where did they come from? Yeah, yeah that's the other Doc's part Doc's crazy. I don't think he lets people in half his, I think half that mansion is just all of his stuff and like no one's allowed but Yeah, him. yeah. I, mm-hmm. That's his, that's his study. Yeah. <laughs> his, yeah, yeah. So do you guys have a funny one? Anybody? My funny one is the page just before this one where he's in the library and he's hearing the people outside. So the top half of the page has he's kind of like starting to climb and the bottom half we see him. He's got like one foot propped onto a shelf of a bookcase and his knee is on the top of the bookcase. He's starting to look out the window and I just thinking like, Papa, can you hear me? <laughs> it's it's like, Oh my God. It's yes. <laughs> yes, it is. And yeah. So again, he's a, he's a big boy, but he likes to climb. <laughs> Oh my God! You made you made the monster Barbara Streisand. I did, <laughs> uh, and done. We have peaked. All right, <laughs> and we're out. Al, what do you got? You got anything to beat Barbara Streisand? <laughs> uh, I don't know a giant mecha Robert Smith. <laughs> Beyond that, no. Uh, no. Mine is a smaller thing. It's. It's the fact is I'm going through these things. I'm like, wait, especially the scientist houses. How many two-headed animals does this guy have? Because uh, <laughs> like you got the two-headed Komodo dragon, you got the two-headed rat cat thing, or the thing. It's like as you're looking, I'm looking at all these little things. I'm like, how many two? Rice is having fun with that. It's like let me put another. Like look at that giant two-headed Komodo dragon. It's like how many? 
It's like the, mm. uh, it's like Twisted Bob Ross. I'm going to put a happy little two-headed animal right over here. My, my question to you is, is why are you, why are you, why are you saying how many can you have? Because you always can have more. I mean, come on, man. <laughs> he is a collector. We kind of, maybe we have a little sympathy for, I just got to have him. I just got to. <laughs> but one thing we can say about the artwork, funny or not, is pretty much every page here could just be, remove the, uh, dialogue or captions or whatever and it's just like okay there's a print right there i'll buy that oh i'd buy anything Mm -hmm. in here it it just on its own it works well they all work well on their own pretty much i would have anything in here including including the creepy moments and i would like to pull out what was the most chilling moment of these two books do you guys have one of those it maybe it's a little too easy to to point out but i really it's just the one that works for me is that moment when Dolly opens her dead eyes. Ooh, uh, ooh good, 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 know, good. Yes, Frank has been praying, has been trying to pray over her, but he's feeling mostly remorse over her having died, most likely because of his looks and him scaring her and feeling the guilt for that. And the doctor's trying to keep her alive. Uh, Ingalls is trying to keep her alive. And he thinks that she's dead. And she is. And then her eyes open anyway. And it's like, oh, it's just gruesome. <laughs> they are pupilless. Mm-hmm. There's no life in them. It, to give an example, we love our comic books. We love the character Storm. When Storm is, Storm is usually drawn with no irises, but there's a difference. Her eyes are always alive, even though they're pure white. These are that dead white. And just the mm-hmm. way he draws them, there's, there's nothing there. There's nothing on the other side. The eyes are sunken in a little bit too. And then our face is gone. It's like, ah, that's just wrong. He can't quite stop the death from happening no matter what he does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, Storm has the power behind her eyes. Right. You can see that's coming out. So Storm's eyes are alive. These are dead. Yes. Yes. Mine is on the next page. And I'm sorry, whenever you bring dead fetuses in uh, tubes, you got creep factor for me. That is creepy. That is creepy. Especially when he is juicing them to make the power shake for his mama. No, thank oh, you. No, yeah, thank you. I'm going to yeah. go ahead and tap on out of that. that, Feta, that fetus is, smoothie is just wrong. No, I am, yeah. I am not with fetus smoothies. Look at the faces. Like, oh, I don't want are, to. Yeah. They look like Frankenstein, <laughs> honestly. And, and, and this actually brings me up something interesting is that this is a very cerebral horror because we are not talking about mm. slasher fic here. There is no slasher fic here. This is not about blood and guts and Freddy and Jason and all that stuff. This is about in your mind, in the creepy stuff, in the things that are twisting good science and twisting and, and, and bringing up more of the occult than the religion. That is what we're talking about here. It's bringing up the the things that we shudder to think about and and make our skins crawl. But it is not outright slasher horror fic. With Frankenstein. With Frankenstein. Frankenstein. Yeah, this is a good call. I like this one. Mine is, um, if you go to issue four, Mm -hmm. it's the fire scene. Mm -hmm. It's the dolly not letting go. I mean, Mm -hmm. I don't know what part is creepier in that. Is it the loved one that you miss that's doing something horrible to you now? You know, the one who loved you in life is now killing you in their death? Or is it the whole, be careful what you wish for, where he could have let her just die. He could have let her go. He could have buried her and mourned her, and he would have been able to get out. But he didn't. I, I think that for me, it, on this one, it is definitely the fact that she is, she is smiling and saying, ah, the sweet release. And he is like, no. Oh God, no! I don't want to go this way. Yeah, it, it's it's that interesting juxtaposition there, and it's again, it's it's that moment of yeah, you've had a nightmare about exactly this scenario, you know, the zombie person pulling you into death or you dying by fire. I mean, you've had this moment in your in your deepest darkest nightmares. I, now the only thing is now the the house just catches on fire. We just all of a sudden there's big fire. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering, did she? Oh yeah, bump into something, quote unquote. No, and set she, this fire. She is the cause of this fire. Okay. I, I, does first, does, does yeah. anybody have any doubts about that? She she's yeah. been wandering around the house. She's been she's been breaking free. They have the whole bit when 
Frank goes to get Rachel, where they make a point of him saying in the narration, she was already wrapped in her scarves and hood. Good. Yes, there is that. There is that. I, I think it's undecided, but the fire doesn't seem to be coming from the cell that she's living in. So I no. don't quite get well, how she would have done it. I think she just heard it and smelled it. Well, mm-hmm. but there's still just enough there to give me a, a hair of a doubt that Rachel contributed in some fashion. Maybe, maybe as simple as Dolly broke out again. Rachel saw her through the door, pleaded with her, pleaded with her, and and Dolly just nodded, and she prepared. She she knew this was coming. But I I really? like it. I like it. There's there's yeah. there's collusion. We have yes. collusion. Yeah, I didn't think much about her being dressed already, but I get. Yeah, you're right. There could be something to that. Mm-hmm. But at the very least, yeah, it's gotta be Dolly. Because at first I was thinking of. Yo, dude, be, at first I was thinking, well, I guess it's a good thing he dry, he did this to his wife because at least this way the only people who die there are him as opposed to probably 10 of the servants would have died if they all were there. But I guess if he <laughs> didn't do this, the fire wouldn't happen. Because, yeah, you're right. She's the one that set the fire. Yeah. yeah. Accidentally, of course. Of course, of course. He bumped in that table that has a candle on it five or six times. Yeah, just until it falls down. Right into yeah. the right into the humongous pile of dirty rags soaked in. <laughs> you 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 guys you guys keep that pile of dirty rags soaked in kerosene next to your boiler, right? That's common. Yeah. Traditional. Who yeah. doesn't do that? Where, that, else gonna, how, where else are you gonna put them? That keeps good spirits in the house. Exactly. Uh, that that that's what my cult leader tells me. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm very proud of you for listening. <laughs> All hail Al. start next week. All hail Al. All hail Al. All right. Um, <laughs> gentlemen, uh, <laughs> this has been fun. This has been great. I would like to start wrapping us up. But before I do that, you know, we've been drinking some brewskis. We've been having some fun. Some of us have been drinking that aid from the minute made. And, you know, we need to say, how do we like these things that we're drinking? So in honor, in honor of our monster, Frankenstein... How many vials of questionable liquid, one out of five, would you give your beverage of choice? I think it's the most exotic. The minute maid needs to go first. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. That's well. It is pretty exotic. It's not the most exotic aid of lemons I've ever had before. I've managed to f- been quite the connoisseur of it, actually. I give it. I give it a solid four. Four vials of questionable fluid. Then some of it's bubbling too. You know, just oh, for extra. Of course it is. Of so it's there it and bubbling. You know, bubbly, bubbly. Uh, Mr. Al, a.k.a. Kimberly Sedano, uh, exactly how are you enjoying your beverage of choice? Actually, I was kind of waiting, hoping that I'd find a time to go grab another one. <laughs> <laughs> you need to be like me and bring a big old bomber to the show. Let me tell you, that's that's oh, right. They in cans. That's what they do in Iceland. They come in cans and they got the cool Vikings on the t- on the picture. No, this was good. I mean, here's the thing about this. I don't think there's anything really spectacular about this. This is not going to blow anyone away. This is not going to be like, no one's going to go, my God, that's amazing. I think it was just a damn good beer. Mm-hmm. You know, I think you'd have to be very, very, very picky about your beer to not like this. So I'm definitely going to give this at least, I feel like I'm trying, I feel like giving it a four might be too crazy. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say it's a good 3.5. It's a good solid beer. There's no huge aftertaste. There's no huge taste when you fit, take the sip. It's just like, Ooh, this is good. Mm-hmm. Did it come from the land of ice and snow, where the midnight sun, where the hot winds, hot springs blow? Uh, I, I'm going to have to stop you right there, Tim, because I cannot afford any of that Led Zeppelin uh, royalty money. Okay, oh, okay. we can't afford that here. Well, just, just I think so. <laughs> just cut that out, right? Just cut that out, right? I mean, I think so. I think it is. There's words with a lot of I can't pronounce with a lot of umlauts on top of them. Oh. <laughs> Brewed by Einstock Olgard F. Akuri something, Iceland. <laughs> you gotta get that back into your glottal. You gotta, gotta, it's, it's a glottal. It's a glottal <laughs> one. Yeah, that's a glottal one. <laughs> so I, I've been sitting here and I've been uh, enjoying my dead and dead rogue. Dead guy ale aged in dead guy whiskey barrels. Let me tell you, that's a lot of dead guy. No, this is quite nice. This is a uh, this is a hometown brew. This Rogue Brewery is in Oregon, and we love our Rogue Brewery. I've gone and um, and eaten and drank at their location at their brewing location on the coast in Newport, Oregon. 
It is quite an enjoyable place. It is quite an enjoyable company. This is a very solid beer. I would actually say this is about a four. My biggest complaint is that it does have a little bit of a rusted taste in there at the end, especially as it starts to warm up a bit. But Mm, it still mm -hmm. has a good ale. And I've been just enjoying this the entire night. This is a very, very good, strong beer. The nine-point ABV, it is Seriously, a nine ABV. I am feeling that. Feeling that in my oats. But it is a quite a good beer and a perfect one for this episode as we talk about Frankenstein Alive, Alive, Dead, and Dead. Nice, nice choice. So that is our show. I would like to thank you guys very much for coming. And I would also like to remind anybody who's listening to this to be sure to check out any other show that we're on. You can sometimes find Jeff and I on the junior agent submissions on the MI6 Rogue Agent episodes of Honor Majesty's Secret Podcast. Also, I have my own show, Monthly Monday Movie Muckabouts, which you can find on the Longbox Crusade Network, where I talk about movies with fellow people. Tim's been on. I'm waiting for Al to send me the list so I can have him on. It's It's a fun, fun show. Please listen to it. Gentlemen, I'd like you to tell people where they can find you. Tim. Where can other people find you on the intranets? Well, if you want to find me on the internets, and I don't know why you would, you can find me on Twitter at TimPrice17. You also can find me in the podcastosphere as a co-host of the Batgirl Cassandra Kane podcast with Ashford Wright on the Right On Network. You can follow that show on Twitter at Huntress Podcast or go to our website, thehunterspodcast.com. I also just started a new show where I am the the podcast host on the same feed called The Outcasters, a Batman and the Outsiders podcast with co-host Ashford Wright. And you can find that show on Twitter at Bat Outcasters. And how about you, Al? So you can find me on my show, Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, which is, well, about the Marvel characters, Adam Warlock and Thanos. Right in the name, really nothing hidden about it. You find it, just go every podcast, just type in Adam Warlock or Thanos. We're going to pop up or we're on Twitter at Adam Thanos pod. And you can also find me over on the Legion of Substitute podcasters feed. They have a spinoff show, L-E-G-I-O-N-P-O-D cast, which is about the late 80s, early 90s DC sci-fi series Legion. We're featuring Viral Dot, not the Legion of Superheroes, the one in the 20th century featuring Lobo. And that's out every Friday on the Legion of Substitute podcasters feed. Fantastic. Jeff and Mark Presents is a bi-weekly self-produced podcast recorded in front of a live studio audience that consists of two beers and one not beer in Virginia, Florida, and Oregon. If you would like to interact with us through the magic of the internet, you can do so through Twitter at Jeff Rick Presents, our Facebook page, Jeff and Rick Present, our email address, Jeff and Rick Present, all one word at gmail.com, or at our website, Jeff and Rick Present.wordpress.com. Also, our YouTube channel at Jeff and Rick Present. Please rate and review us wherever you can. Tell your friends about us or share your love for us for social media. And as always, we would like to thank the powerful people in our packs. My wife, Cindy, and our daughter, Carrie. My wife, Kim, and the puppies, Sam and Parker. My wife, Mary, and our daughters, Jenny and Elaine. We We love love you. you. Until next time. Fire Bad! Our theme music is A's Action by Kevin McLeod of TheCompTech.com and is licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license. Hey guys, just got signed in. Sorry about that. Seems like I got the uh, email alert for this late tonight. Um, guys? Hello? Anyone? Anyone here? Too late. I sent the email, then my computer crashed, and I wanted to taunt them. It's not fair. (laughs) Define irony for me. What? I don't get it. Ah, don't worry about it. Hey, you know what? You're here. I'm here. Hmm, you want to talk for a while? Hello? You there? You there? Hey, you there? You there? Nope.